Well, I've got some explaining to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in a soccer league, and I really enjoy it. The last five years have been great. But the game this week, I thought someone took a cheap shot and kicked me in the leg. And I buckled down to the ground, and I looked back to see who it was, just that I could pray for them. And, uh, and, and I looked back, and there was no one there. And I thought, this is worse. It would have been better if someone would have kicked me. And then, uh, well, I made it home, and then online. You know, all of us go online to become a doctor and just analyze what's going on. So if you can't walk on your tippy toes, if you can't do a calf raise... Uh, someone kicks you in the hind, but no one really kicked you there. It all lines up to the Achilles. And the doctor confirmed it. It's not a full tear. I thank God for that. But it's a partial tear. And I got a new friend, this boot uh, right here. I used to think putting on socks and taking showers was easy. Uh, now, uh, it, it could be an Olympic sport to do that with the boot. Uh, it's, it could be torture. It, it could be America's Funniest Videos. I, I don't know, but I'm making lots of adjustments. I told the middle school and high school group last night, the students at camp, I said, we all have stuff in our life that's painful and awkward. Amen? We all have stuff that's painful and awkward. Mine just happens to be more visible right now. And I'll tell you, the battle is not just with the foot. When you get an injury, it's between the ears. Isn't that true in life? It's not the situation you go through, but it's what's going on with your mindset. And so disappointed, yes. A little grieving? Yes, yes, that's right. Giving burdens to the Lord? Yes. But discouraged? Nope. Despair? Nope. I'm not going to go there. I know who wants me to go there. I'm not going there. And so uh, trust in the Lord. I take refuge in the Bible verse that God's power is perfect in our weakness. And we all have weakness, so we don't need to really hide it. But God's power can be evident in our weakness. So I'm all right saying, Lord, I'm weak. I'm all right thanking my um, God for my sweet wife as well. And, uh, and also, this brought some appreciation. You know, um, body who are like an Achilles tendon. And my appreciation for Achilles tendons is increasing rapidly. And we have people in the body who come underneath the body. They're kind of behind the scenes. You don't necessarily notice them you take them for granted and they're holding a lot together you might be an Achilles tendon in your extended family or in your community or in the church you might be an Achilles tendon in some really important ways and we don't take you for granted in the body of Christ and we celebrate uh, when when one part's hurting we all join in together one part's celebrating we all join in together but we are the body of Christ and our physical bodies I think are such a picture of that. Okay, I know we got this series to get into, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the very end of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 today. Uh, let me ask you a question, and you just say right here. Where are you going to be Thursday night at 7? Right here, right here. All right, let's check our schedules. Everyone check your schedule. Okay, let me ask you again. Where are you going to be Thursday night at 7? Right here, right here. You have to have something worse than a partially torn Achilles to not be here on Thursday night at 7 because we're going to have a great time with Jesus. We're going to have an amazing time with Jesus. This is going to be a memorable, memorable night. This is going to be a spiritually significant night. Thursday night at 7, I just challenge you, you don't have something better in your schedule than coming right here, Thursday night at 7. Today we're going to talk about 40 shifts with the theme of repentance and the series is a Jesus community. I want to let you know that a Jesus community repents frequently, honestly, heartfelt, 
There's no shame in repentance. It's glorious. It's how we return to God. It's how we come home. It's how we get refreshment. It's how revival comes. It's how we get a reset in our lives. And Paul is pleading with the Corinthians to return to the Lord in many ways. And we're going to return to the Lord in many ways today. You're going to have an opportunity at the end of the message. We're just going to have this be a place of prayer where you can come up purely for repentance yourself if you want to lift up the nation but it's going to be a time of repentance because in the bible there's intentional times spaces where you have repentance and it's glorious it's beautiful it's wonderful and that's what we're going to do at the end of the message so you know where we're going today let's pray father god we thank you for your goodness we praise you it's not by might it's not by strength it's by your spirit and god we know that you're here with us right now and we know that you work all things together for the good of those who love you, are called according to your purpose. Father, we want to trust you at all times. God, we're trusting and we're believing for miracles today, right here. Change lives today, right here. We thank you for everyone who's watching online. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual vitality, can it happen in Corinth? And if you look at the status quo, people would say, no, it can't happen. If you look at the health of the church in Corinth, they would say, no, it really can't happen. If you look at the culture in Corinth, they would say, no, it really can't happen. To Corinthianize means to be sexually immoral. When you look around Corinth, you see prostitutes everywhere. Could you have spiritual vitality in Corinth? Many people would say, no, you can't. But God says yes. And if God says yes, that's all that really matters. And one person, Paul, is listening to God, and he starts to get a vision of yes in his heart. And then some in Corinth start to turn to God, and they start to get a vision in their heart, and the gospel's received, but then they're taking some steps backwards, and the question is, can we have spiritual vitality in Corinth? God says yes. Can we have spiritual vitality in the sound? Many people would look around right now and say, no, no, there's too much materialism can't have it here. There's too much pride. How could we have it here? There's not enough healthy churches. How could we really have it here? There's relativism. How could we really have it here? There's the love of money. How could we have it here? And God looks at the sound and I believe says yes. And he speaks to people who are listening to him who also start to Do it by his Holy Spirit. Do it in our hearts and in our homes and through the church. And you say, well, how is that going to happen? Well, Paul's going to serve. He's going to pray. He's going to write some letters. He's going to visit. He's just saying yes to God. If you say yes to God today, there's no limits to what God's going to do in you and through you. You'll be his healing instrument. You'll be his representative in many places where you live, work, learn, or play. So Paul says yes. See kind of a road map. And again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 23, four steps we're going to look at along this roadmap. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith that you stand firm. Paul, in this letter, is very direct, passionate, heartfelt, and clear. He uh, is really speaking in a direct, heartfelt way that's going to touch their hearts. When you open up your heart, you're more likely to touch someone else's heart. And so we open up our hearts. That's how we connect with one another. I say often, there's honest, there's and there's most honest. 
And Paul's going to go to most honest so that there's that heartfelt connection in ministry that happens. If you try to keep it safe and shallow, you're not going to see the same transformation. And God moves in the most honest level. Paul is going to explain here, your obedience ultimately produces joy and your sin ultimately produces sorrow. Sin leads to sorrow. Obedience leads to joy. Not just your joy, but the joy of many. God has set up this world with laws. There's the law of gravity. If you go home and you take a book and you drop it from the window in the second floor, there's no chance it's going up. There's no chance. If you take a TV, there's no keys. They're all going to drop because there's a law of gravity that God has established. There are spiritual laws. The same God who sets up the physical laws sets up the spiritual laws. Here's a spiritual law. Obedience leads to joy. Sin leads to sorrow. That's what's going to happen every time. And the pushback is, yeah, but initially sin feels good. Well, it does. Initially, sin feels good. Then it always has a cost that's greater than the feel good. The feel good is initial and kind of deceiving, like a chocolate covered poison. Oh, I like the chocolate. Swallow it. Now I feel the poison. Now I'm feeling sick to my stomach. To walk by faith. God is looking for a people who will value ultimately more than initially. We have people who are addicted to initially and are not trusting God with the ultimately. God wants us to see the ultimately, walk by faith, and be wise initially. Don't compromise. Don't get ripped off in the initially because you've undervalued the ultimately. And ultimately, sin leads to sorrow. Obedience leads to joy. We walk by faith. What else is true of sin? Sin is always destructive. Always destructive. It's always going to take you downward, not upward, and it's always discovered. Some people think they get away with their sin. Listen, when you confess your sin, you're not going to surprise God. You're not going to say, God, you know, last Wednesday you probably didn't see this, but God saw it. Sin's always discovered, often on earth. Everything's discovered when we come before God. So why play games? Why hide? Why live in guilt and shame? God wants to take away guilt and shame. Sin ultimately leads to death, the death of our joy, the death of our peace, the death of close relationships, death of closeness with God. It leads to death in so many ways. And that's why Paul uses the phrase, God as my witness, with sincerity and seriousness, he cares about souls. If you really care about people, you really care about souls. You can't care about people and not care about their souls. And he's saying, I work with you. I'm for you. This is for your joy. This is for you to stand firm in Corinth. Can you stand firm in Corinth where there's temptation on every block? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can walk in purity. You can walk in the light, in the sound, and in Corinth. You can do this. Now, obedience is significant. And why is obedience significant? Obedience is the way we demonstrate our love and our appreciation for Jesus. Say, how do you honor Jesus? Well, this is how you do it. You honor Jesus with obedience. Jesus isn't looking for a bunch of talkers that then don't follow him. (laughs) You, You follow him and then you're talking out of that joy of following him. And this obedience that he calls us to, it's life giving. It's um it's something that's surprisingly joyful, and this obedience is reasonable. Would you agree that it's reasonable if the Son of God, and he has, has left heaven, come to earth? 
laid down his life, was beaten, spit on, mocked, and to us, and we say yes to that gift, isn't it just reasonable that we might not hold back in our praise? Isn't it reasonable we would sing his praises? Isn't it reasonable we would honor him when no one's looking? Isn't it reasonable that we would declare the good news of Jesus to a lost community? Isn't that just kind of reasonable? I mean, that's not asking too much, is it? So we know we can't do it on our own strength. And we can't. We'll fail every time. So God helps us. Be a robot. Do it all in your own strength. It's none of that. If that's in your mind or if you had that growing up in a church, it's time to delete the old tapes. Because obedience is a much different song. Here's obedience. I'm going to help you in every way at every turn. You're not alone. You just need to rely on me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, not a spirit of timidity and fear, but power and love. My Holy Spirit's going to be sufficient. All you need to do is let me in. Let me in. Let me into your life. Not the pride, not the closed doors. Just let me in. And then start to cultivate some habits. They're going to seem like really small habits, but they're going to be amazingly powerful. When you spend time in the Word, time listening to God in the Bible, when you spend time in the Word, God's going to renew your mind. He's going to build you up so much spiritually. When you pray, You know what's going to happen? You're going to give God burdens. You're going to listen to God. You're going to get a fresh vision. You're going to get courage. Like some of these habits, you cultivate some prayer. You cultivate time in the word. You start there. You know when someone falls morally and there's a loud thud, it's because there's a hundred little decisions that precede it. When someone's thriving spiritually and spiritually vibrant, it's not like they just woke up that day and like, woo, look at me now, spiritually vibrant. It's the cultivating of saying yes to the Holy Spirit in so many little areas. My Scottish coach would always say, ah, it's the wee things. It's the little things, the cultivating the habits. You let the Holy Spirit in, and pretty soon you didn't even realize that the fruit of the Spirit is just bursting, and it's harvest time and coming right out of what you say and what you do. And that's the picture here. Jeremiah, there's a contrast. And God lays out these contrasts because I think he wants us, well, he wants us to know we can't have both. And he says this in Jeremiah, and that the nation is struggling and there's lostness and spiritually things are chaotic. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's going to be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. And we want to say, no, thank you. Not, 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 do not want to go there. Now, here's the contrast. Blessed is the man, the man or the woman, who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You know who sent me that this week? A pastor in the sound, Herb Hartzell. I love Herb. Good friend. Herb's son, he's got a very rare disease, and the doctor said that uh, he's going to die at a very young age. He's already surpassed the doctor's estimation because he's a teenager. But he has a lot of health challenges. And his son has been in the hospital for many, many days with very severe seizures. And people are praying for Herb and little Herbie and uh, Costa Sound. I I love this family. And uh, he texted me that verse this week. And what I heard uh, in that text 
is, you know, God's brought us this far. We're not going back. We're not going to stop trusting God. But our allegiance is to Jesus. We're going to trust Jesus. That's about the worst case scenario for a mom and her dad to know that their child is knocking in some ways in death's doorstep physically, but they're going to keep trusting Jesus. See, that verse means a lot. Blessed is the man or woman. Blessed are the parents who trust the Lord, who keep their confidence in him. They're going to be like trees planted by water that send out roots by the stream. They're not going to fear when the heat comes. Their leaves are going to be green. They're not going to have worries in a year of drought, and they will never fail to bear fruit. That's where we go. That's where we go in Corinth. That's where we go in the sound. We don't go backwards. We don't make excuses. We turn to Jesus, and we abide. We abide with the Lord. And the Corinthians are new in their faith, and they're learning to abide. And Paul's encouraging them. And this second part is that a deep love desires to empower people towards faithfulness. When you really love people, you empower people. And you empower them towards faithfulness. And you encourage them towards faithfulness. And you pray for them towards faithfulness. Well, what does that look like? Paul continues now in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Do you hear Paul opening up his heart? Paul is an outstanding theologian. You read through the book of Romans. It's inspiring. It's amazing. Like we need that food and that meat for our souls. Paul is also very human. And sometimes theologians forget to be human. Sometimes pastors forget to be human. Sometimes Christians forget to be honest and human. And Paul is saying, I pour out this letter, I write you, and it's with many tears because of my deep love for you. Well, what's happening in Corinth? They said yes to Jesus. And then they started to walk with Jesus. And then they turned back to sin. And now they're struggling. Paul visited them. And what he saw... It was shocking. And have you ever thought someone was going to be like walking with God and then you really saw what's going on? You're like, wow, I'm stunned. And it was a painful visit. And Paul prayed about going back, but God told him, no, just write a letter. So he wrote this letter with tears. He gave it to Titus to take to the Corinthians. When's the last time you wrote an email or a letter with tears? When's the last time you prayed with tears? When's the last time you poured out your heart to someone with tears because you love them so? Now Paul's waiting and he's wrestling with anxiety because Titus, see Titus can't text. Titus can't send a video of the church at Corinth. Titus can't send an email. Titus can't do any of this. So he's waiting in Troas for Titus to get off the ship and Paul gets to hear, how did it go with my letter? How are the Corinthians doing spiritually? And he's just waiting to hear because he loves the people so much. You know, sometimes we're a little indifferent. Sometimes we're a little selfish. Sometimes we're a little complacent. Sometimes we're a little controlled. And sometimes we play a little safe. And so some people cry more than others. Tears don't come easy for me. Tears aren't the litmus test of spirituality. That's not where I'm going. 
But I am saying we open up our hearts and then the, the compassion and the care just pours out. And that might look like a letter. That might look like a conversation. That might look like a prayer. But you care so deeply for people. It might start in your own family. It might then go to your neighbors. It might be some people in your church. It might be some people in the hospital. But you care so deeply for people that the tears might just flow because the love is so deep. And you don't settle for this kind of shallow, cautious, you stay over there, I'll stay over here. I was, I was talking to someone from Eastern Europe this week, and they said, when I got to America, I was just blown away because, you know, in, in my country, if someone has a need or someone comes to church or someone shows up, like, you just bring so much hospitality, and you love them, and you connect, and you hear their story, and you pray for them. You might take them out for a meal. You have them over your house, and so it's like, that's what Christians do in my country, and I came to America, and I showed up at church, and like months, nobody even wanted to know me. No one said hi, and it's like, I couldn't believe it. Like, are we reading the same Bible that you love one another? Because in America, it's like, oh, you show up. You stay way over there. I'm going to stay way over here. That's how we do it in America. And I was like, wow, that was such an interesting perspective. Because sometimes you get in a pattern where there's not that much connection and compassion, and we want to kind of hoard our time and our house and everything, and you realize, wow, I need to see it from someone else's perspective here. And what does it look like to really love one another? Well, Paul loves them so much. And God has given us a purpose. This purpose, when you think about blessing people. Sometimes people feel helpless, and you can hear it in the words. Oh, do you see what's happening in the world? Do you see what the statistics are? Do you see what's going on spiritually? And it's just like helpless. And no, there's things we can do. Bless. Think through that acronym again. Begin with prayer. Just listen to somebody. Eat a meal. Serve somebody. Share. Matt's story. It doesn't matter if it's at church or at a Kraken game. There are people everywhere who will Be so happy to see your love if you initiate like Jesus initiates with love. Bless people. We can do this together. There can be a movement together. There there can be momentum together. The culture can change together. But you say yes to the Lord. You say, well, is that biblical? I see that throughout the Bible. God blesses us to bless other people. This is how Jude put it in Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, you dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith. And pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save save them uh, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch some from the fire, but don't fall in to the sins that they're doing. He who wins souls is wise. She who wins souls is wise. We have uh, something this week that uh, Ken McDuff, uh, he serves here with HR and finances. He's got a gift for putting charts together. Charts sometimes are helpful because they bring clarity. I think of our physical bodies. We have systems like a skeletal system, respiratory system, blood flow system. You need good systems. Well, sometimes as simple as an org chart can bring some good clarity, uh, and it can be helpful in that regard. Now, this is what he did, and... An org chart can be misleading because it can look like some kind of hierarchy, but really it's all one. It's all one team. And then we're all one family. And I like what he did as he presented the org chart, which just helps for departments and clarity and you kind of know who's leading or how, how does that flow. And then he said, but really an org chart, you take that and you flip it upside down. Because Jesus came to serve. And when you think about a church staff, really 
a church staff's role is not to do all the work around the church. The role of a church staff in Ephesians 4 is then to serve the body and encourage and pray for and equip and strengthen the body. And the picture of health isn't this little org chart. I mean, that can be a little resource. But where God is leading us is that all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're all abiding on all days of the week in all places we go. And how terrible it would be to shrink God's vision into just a little church staff that's do more, do more, when what God has called us to do in terms of transforming the sound is for all of us to come alive, spiritual vitality, spread our wings in the home, at the workplace, wherever you go, abide with Jesus and bear much fruit. That's God's vision, biblically. That's why we have a church staff. And I'm so grateful for the team that God has raised up. Paul does not give up on this dream of how healthy the church can be in Corinth and the transformation God can bring in that place. Uh, This is my seventh year in the sound. I uh, am still full of hope that God will bring a transformation and a renewal in the sound that'll be so powerful and we'll see healthy churches all across the sound. Uh, That's something for me that's so worth my time and prayers and energy. And uh, I think we join in that together. Well, this week I spent a little time thinking about shifts. Uh, can we say this phrase? It's time for some shifts. All right, let's say that together. It's time for some shifts. Things are not going to be different if we keep doing the same thing. This is on reflection of First and Second Corinthians, and then just thinking about our situation today. This is the participation point right now. So if you had your coffee, you're ready. If you haven't, said a quick, say a quick prayer. We're going to say some things together. 40 shifts. They're going to move quick, but I wrote them down. As we say these, maybe you make them your prayer. Maybe you're thinking about them. Maybe some of them jump out to you. Try not to think of your spouse or someone in your life group, okay? Just try not to nudge the person next to you and say, that's yours, that's yours. Let's just say these 40 shifts together, okay? Here's the 40. Start with number one. Ready? From Sunday to every day. From one place to all places. From opinions to God's word. From program-based to relationship-based. From the status quo to a movement. From just the church staff to all people. From division to unity. From unforgiveness to forgiveness. From grieving the spirit to full of the spirit. From stingy to generous. From pride to repentance. From judging your neighbor to loving your neighbor. From selfishness to serving. From distracted to focused. From complacency to fervency. From lukewarm to on fire. From lazy to intentional. From indifference to listening. From impurity to purity. From silent to sharing our stories. We're halfway there. You're doing a great job. From shallow to vulnerable. From self-consumed to worship. From anxious to thankful, from intimidated to courageous, from duplicity to integrity, from slander to kindness, from hopeless to hopeful, from religious to a relationship with God, from ignoring to inviting, from going one mile to the second mile, from legalism to liberty, from denial to healing, from idols to Jesus, from discouraged to to bold, 
from sin to freedom, from isolation to collaboration, from racism to multicultural friendships, from discrimination to multi-generational respect, from hatred to compassion, from fearful to prayerful. Amen. Amen. If none of that stirs your heart, it's time to check with your cardiologist what's really going on in there because something in there has to spark some vision. Something in there has to spark some hope. Something has to resonate. Something has to speak to you and say, you know what? This needs to change. We need something different. We need something biblical. We need something spirit-led. We need something that we're not seeing right now. And I think that's the message of hope that Paul's bringing to Corinth. Jesus says he's come to give us an abundant life. Not a barely life. Not a boring life. It's an abundant life. Well, you say, that's big picture. That's big stuff. Paul brings it back to one person. One person Look at verse 5 in chapter 2. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now, uh, this person, we don't know the story. Bible scholars think this is someone who is slandering and undermining. This is someone who is maybe teaching some false things or spreading some false messages. And they were especially, you know, targeted towards Paul, as many were then. And what happened is this man repented. This man said, that was wrong, what I did. And now Paul is saying to the church, I've forgiven And that's going to be a little radical because if you've ever had someone really mistreat you and everyone knows it, and then you say, I've forgiven, that gets people's attention. When a drunk driver kills a child and then the parents in the testimony of the court say, because of Jesus, we forgive, we forgive, that gets your attention. It looks like a radical forgiveness. It's not what you expect. You say, this is the same person, and now Paul's not just forgetting, he, forgiving. He's saying, uh, go reaffirm your love to the church, to this person. It's like, what, what are we talking about here? Paul is very clearly saying, I'm not going to carry resentment. I'm not going to carry bitterness of spirit. I hope today you would say, I'm not going to carry resentment. I'm not going for revenge. I'm not carrying any bitterness of spirit towards anybody today. I'm clear of all that. I'm going to walk in freedom and in love today. Uh, And that's where Paul steps, and it sets the tone. This man who repents breaks the ice. Paul's setting the tone. Here's what we know. Forgiveness is essential for healing, and it opens the door for restoration. How have you been forgiven by God? Freely you've been forgiven. It's grace. So freely forgive the person who wronged you. Now, a couple points of clarification, because forgiveness is a complicated topic. This isn't exhaustive, but I want to say a couple things. Ministry and relationships are messy. Ministry and relationships are always going to be messy. The more a person repents, the more restoration you 
can have. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you're going to be their best friend. The healthier they are, the more close you can be to them. If they're still dangerous, then you don't just jump back in, you know, kind of naive. But this person is truly repented, which opens the door for more restoration. Jesus does not call the righteous, but he calls sinners to repentance. If someone's self-righteous and thinks, oh, no, 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 no. I don't need to repent. I, I, I don't think I've sinned in years. Uh, Jesus, he, he's not really going to be hanging out there with that person. But instead, who is he called? And there is a call. There's a call for us to repent when we sin. And last time I checked, we all sin every day. Uh, godly sorrow is different than a hopeless sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And God will never despise someone who's contrite in heart. There's not one person here today. You say, well, you don't know what I've done and what I've thought and what I've said. There's not one person here today that if you come to God humbly and sincerely, he's going to push you away. In fact, the Bible shows the picture of him running to you and welcoming you home. Welcoming anyone home who wants to come home. And that's our God. You say, well, that's the opposite of the devil. In the last verse here, verse 11, notice this. Because it's not just on a human level. There's a spiritual battle. And Paul says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The last truth is that the devil's schemes are to entice you to drift away from God. That's what the devil does. Be passive with solutions and just feel hopeless, complacent, selfish. And then be resentful with other people. That's what happened in Corinth. We saw a lot of that in 2021. And that's why Paul says, do not be unaware. Do not let the devil outwit you. This also means cheat or take advantage. You say, well, what's going to happen if the devil's schemes work? And if we say yes to the devil's schemes, people will be apathetic and people will be anxious. The devil has a foothold when you see a lot of anxiety. The devil has a foothold when you see a lot of apathy. Wherever there's lukewarm apathy, wherever there's heightened anxiety, the devil's at work with his schemes. But here's the truth. God revives. And I think of 2022. There are people that God speaks to in the Bible, and they know God revives. Joshua and Caleb saw a generation in the wilderness, but they saw the promised land, and they know God revives. Esther, from her position as a queen, saw her people under a death sentence, and it looked like a time of despair, but she knew, let's fast and pray, because God revives. Josiah picked up the word, and he opened up the word, and there's power in God's word. And when we get into the word, and the word gets into us, we know God revives. The people in Nineveh apparently had no reverence for God before this, but when they heard the message from Jonah, they repented, knowing that God revives. How deeply do you believe that God revives? We see uh, so much evidence right now that uh, people are divided, this is how God revives. We're going to have a night of unity, a night of hope on Thursday night with gospel music. This is going to be people from around the sound. There's a group coming, uh, worshiping God through gospel music. They're coming from Portland. They came yesterday just to get everything squared away. They're coming again on Thursday. 
Why? Because they're hungry for unity and for hope. These are churches all around the sound coming together on Thursday night because we don't want to be divided. We want to be united. And sometimes God will call us to take the first step that leads to a bunch of other steps. We see right now, uh, I believe, that kids or students in our nation, there is a battle happening for their souls right now. And if you don't see that, it might be time to just kind of pick up your eyes, turn up your ears, and and just spiritually be alert. Now, I want to share the good news. Take a look at this picture. This is last night, and this is at camp, our middle school and high school students. And what I want to say to encourage you here is that students were leading their peers in worship. And some of those that were leading in worship had never led worship before. But they're leading their peers, and that room was just full of praise. And Pastor Jesse's doing a tremendous job leading at camp. And there's about 25 adults from our church, and I was so inspired. I, I looked at one of them, and I thought, here's a nurse who's constantly serving people. She has four days, and she's going to, her family's here, but she, Her husband blesses it, and she's going to go and serve at camp because she loves middle school and high school students in spending those four days. My son, well, he was in a cabin. Let's just say there's a lot of junior high kids that get pretty excited about camp. Amen? They didn't stay up super late, but the first morning, they got up at 5. And and they had tons of energy. So the camp, uh, the counselor, the cabin leader took them out for a three-mile walk in the snow because they really wanted to do it at five in the morning. Are you hearing the dedication? I'm saying there are 25 people in our church who love middle school students and high school students, and it really shows this weekend. God's doing a great work. One of them last night, one of the cabin leaders said, one of my girls just came up and said she wants to get baptized. Uh, God's doing a work this weekend. Continue to pray. We're going the opposite direction. Doubts, this is what we're going to do as a church. We're going to bring the gospel to more people than we've ever brought the gospel to. It's going to be local and it's going to be global. We're we're bringing God's word to more people than we've ever brought God's word to. Why? Because we know the devil's schemes. Distracted, we're going to get focused. We're going to get focused. Bless is a way to get focused. What am I going to do today? I'm going to bless people. Well, what does that look like? I'm going to begin with prayer. I'm going to listen to people. I'm going to eat with people. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to share with people. God, what do you want to look like? I'm ready to bless people. We have Alpha at our church. It's a safe place for people to come checking out God. There was a big Alpha gathering yesterday, and so many people experiencing more of Jesus. We had some that said yes to Jesus for the first time yesterday through Alpha and the ministry here at the church. Now they know the Lord. Why? Because some people at our church were listening to God and said, let's bless people. What I want to say today is that repentance leads to refreshment. Repentance leads to health. Repentance leads to returning home to God. Repentance leads to revival. And I'm going to give an opportunity in a minute for anyone who wants to, to come forward And we're going to have a time of prayer with a focus of repentance. It could be any shift that you really sense you need to make. It could be any way that you want to pray for a region or nation. Daniel prays not just for himself, but he prays on behalf of the people that we would turn from our sin. You don't have to come forward. And there's nothing really incredible about this space. But what we see in the Bible is intentional times of repentance. 
intentional gatherings and intentional seeking the Lord, turning from sin. And God says, when my people turn from the sin and they humble themselves and they seek my face, I'm going to move in power. I'm going to heal the land. I'm going to do great things. I'm going to be glorified. And so we see the first step in Corinth is really a step of repentance is what it is. And I was thinking about my foot here, and I said I'm going to use this as an illustration. Uh, This is just a physical injury, and it happened in a soccer game. But I think it speaks of a condition. I know my Achilles is not what it's supposed to be. I know right now I have some restrictions, some limitations, and I'm not really stepping into my potential. So I need healing to physically start playing soccer again. Uh, mentally, I'm ready, but, but I need some physical healing. Uh, when it comes to sin, this is what sin does. It's like tearing a tendon in your walk with God. And what sin wants to do is slow you down, get you, you know, kind of complacent, hopeless, not really your potential for Jesus. It wants to get you anxious. It wants to get you fearful. It wants to get you believing that you don't have gifts, that your story's not important. It wants to get you not really stepping into the full potential that God has for you. When we repent, we step into spiritual health, and the Holy Spirit comes and takes over. And then something happens that we can't do by might or by strength, but by God's Spirit. And repentance is the process where we say, God, I'm limping spiritually. I've made some decisions. I've got some patterns and habits. I've got some secret sins. On the outside, people don't know. But I'm ready, God, to have you take over, and I want to step in to all you've designed me to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the heart of repentance. In Joel chapter 2, we see this scripture. As Joel is encouraging the people, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Sometimes it's going to be with fasting or weeping or mourning. And here's the key. You open up that heart. You rend that heart. It's not about your garments. Return to the Lord. Who is the Lord? This is why we repent. God is gracious. God is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Because of God's character and his kindness, we're drawn to repent.